Let's open our Bibles to that last chapter of the Epistle to the Romans and the 18th verse of Romans 16. The 18th verse reads this way, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. They that are such has been defined for us in verse 17 as those which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which the Romans had learned. That's the such. These persons, it's highly personal because there's names involved and they are individual people. They cause divisions by sowing discord in churches with new doctrines to get a following for them. And they cause offenses by doing or saying things contrary to apostolic doctrine and practice. There's always been an abundance of such persons, and there will be yet more in perilous times. When Elijah visited Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 18, do you remember the number of the ministerial association that was against him? There was 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the groves. 950 prophets. The brook Kydron was red when Elijah got done with them, wasn't it? Because he killed all 950 of them when he got done calling fire down from heaven upon an altar. When Jehoshaphat visited Ahab, and that was mentioned this morning, there was Micaiah against 400. So in the days of Ahab, there was one occasion where it was one against 950, and there was an occasion where there was one against 400. There are going to arise false teachers, false prophets, that need to be marked and avoided. Jesus and John went up against the combined numbers of the religious establishment and ministerial association of Pharisees, the most conservative sect of the Jews' religion, the Bible tells us, Sadducees, the liberal sect, priests that served in the temple, scribes that transcribed and copied the Word of God, lawyers that dealt with the issues of the law, Herodians that were faithful to the Roman appointee Herod, and others that are unnamed. John and Jesus went up against them. Jesus warned His generation that there would be many false teachers. Look at Matthew chapter 24, just very briefly with me for this particular point and our Lord's emphasis on it. Matthew 24, verse 5, For many shall come in My name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 11, And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. Verse 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Three warnings, 5, 11, and verse 24. The Lord Jesus Christ describing His generation and the time between 30 A.D. and 70 A.D. with the words many. Paul's competitors. Paul had false teachers chasing him all over with his evangelistic travels in order to take advantage of the advantages of the people of the churches that he started. 
so that they could get in and gain their ministerial support. So Paul, to prove how opposite he was in certain churches like Corinth, labored with tent sewing in order to show Corinth how different he was in spirit and character than those false teachers that were among them. I hope that you remember Acts chapter 20 when the Apostle Paul was saying goodbye for the last time to the elders of the church at Ephesus. He warned them that there would arise from without and from within men that would be like wolves that would prey on the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. I finished on Wednesday evening with 2 Corinthians 2, 17, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God in Paul's time. The prophecy about Roman Catholicism describes it as falling away with signs, lying wonders, and doctrines of devils. And we know how large that organization is. It claims about 1.1 billion that follow the Roman Catholic form of Christianity, which is totally contrary to the wholesome words of Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness. Peter warned about coming false teachers. John warned about them in all three epistles. They went out from us because they were not of us. For no doubt if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out from us to prove that they were not of us. He warned the elect lady that she should not bid Godspeed to any that had a different doctrine of Jesus Christ than what she had been taught. He warned Gaius about Diotrephes. Jude warned, and I would like you to turn to this passage in Jude and its first four verses. Right there before the book of the Revelation, the Bible is filled with the warnings of such people. They that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ Though, of course, they use the word Jesus Christ. The devil can't deceive any Christians by using the word Baal. He's got to use Jesus Christ. Christians are not deceived with Allah. Christians are not deceived with Buddha. Christians are deceived by hearing the name of Jesus Christ. It's the best word. It's by good words and fair speeches. Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Now that's how we treat each other. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied. That's how we treat each other. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now if they crept in, they weren't using the names Baal, Buddha, or Allah, were they? If they crept in. They were using the name of Jesus Christ. Let me share a man with you. His name is Joseph Prince. He's a 50-year-old Oriental 
that has his church in Singapore. And he's the raging rock star of the Far East. He's the Joel Osteen of that part of the world, although he knows a whole lot more Bible than Joel has ever found. He started in the last 25 years what is called the Grace Revolution. If I were to share one of his sermons with you, I couldn't send you a four-minute video clip because I would have to send you something longer and it would be harder for your children to discern the difference. I dare say that it'd be harder for some of you to discern the difference. He's the rock star of that part of the world. He's been in America. He's been well received by Joel Osteen and others. It's called the Grace Revolution. His favorite verse is John 1.17. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And if you heard him talk for five or ten or fifty minutes about grace and grace and more grace, you would think, wow, this guy just loves grace. I mean, his grace is so gracey that it has hair and legs. Because grace is not a theological subject. Grace is Jesus. And you got to hear him and think through this. But I just read to you the passage that he's fulfilling. Or did you miss it? I think you missed it. So I get to do what I wanted to do. And that's to read verse 4 to you again. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men. And here it is turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That means such an emphasis on God's grace and a definition of God's grace that you can basically go live any way you want to and not worry about it because God's grace is going to cover it all. In 2 Peter chapter 2, where this same group is described, remember, 2 Peter 2, Jude, are fraternal twins. They're very close to each other. It says they promise them liberty. These false teachers promise their hearers liberty while they themselves are the servants of corruption. And it goes on to describe them in much greater detail than that, but I preached a whole sermon entitled, They Promise Them Liberty. Now you don't even know about this name that I'm telling you. But in those circles, in the Joel Osteen, Perry Noble, Stephen Furtick circles, They all preach together and they go together. And they all listen to the same music. And it all comes from the same source, Hillsong. Anybody ever run into the word Hillsong? That's okay. I'd rather have you ignorant of such things, just like we're going to learn next Sunday from verse 19. Wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. But I'm warning you about some of the movements And it's much harder to, you know, it's easy to figure out Jesse Duplantis. I was hoping it would be easy. But uh, Joseph Prince is is different. Grace. We love grace, don't we? We love Jesus Christ. Do we love the forgiveness of our sins? But is there more to the Bible? How about these words? And the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Oh. It's supposed to teach you. You should never feel guilty about your sins. You should never be pressed toward good works. 
Do you know what they say that pressing toward good works or using the word repentance is? That's adding the law to salvation. And then he'll quote it again. Here, here we go again. John 1.17, the good words of the fair speech. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Do we love those words? We love those words. They are our words. Don't you get up and repeat them 50 times to numb your audience into ignorance by not understanding what you're saying. You're leading them into lasciviousness by living any way they want to because God's grace is going to overcome it all. Do you know what Titus... Paul told Titus in verse 15 of chapter 2, there's 15 verses in Titus chapter 2. The first category is in verse 1, it's old men. The second category is old women. The third category is young women. The fourth category is young men. The fifth category is ministers. The sixth category is servants. Then he said, the grace of God that hath appeared teaches us that. Because he had just given details for how each of those six categories are supposed to live. And he gets to the 15th verse. And Paul told Titus, these things speak and teach and exhort with all authority. That's what grace teaches. I want you to remember Jude, because of verse 3, it's where Jude exhorts us to earnestly contend for the faith, and it tells us that the faith was once delivered to the saints, and then it tells us what our opponents are going to be like. They're going to talk about the grace of Jesus Christ, but they're going to use it in such a way that you can live any way you want to. Anyone in here, I got. I, I need a few more hands than last time. Has anyone ever heard about once saved, always saved? Once saved, always saved is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Do we believe once saved, always saved? Yes. However, when you take decisional salvation, did you just make a decision for Jesus? I know you did because you repeated that prayer after me. Once they decide for Jesus, then we can say decision for Jesus plus once saved, always saved. You're set, buddy. No matter what happens to you, if you go out of here today and get hit by a car, you are on your way to heaven. Don't let anyone tell you anything else. Don't let anyone tell you, beat you about with repentance. Don't let them beat you about with good works because you made a decision for Jesus. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. That's what they do. What does the Bible teach? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Make your calling and election sure. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That gets close to home. Time would fail me to tell you about origin. These are some of the church fathers. Augustine, Pelagius, Arminius, Calvin, Luther, William Miller, remember him? Father of the Seventh-day Adventists, though he quit long before they became Seventh-day Adventists. Ellen White, who took up the mantle that fell from him. Joseph Smith, Charles Russell, Mary Baker Eddy, those are the Christian scientists. C.I. Schofield, Joel Osteen, there are so many. We have heard some of them among us in recent years barking about their view of Babylon barking about the definition of the word generation. How much difficulty do you have understanding me when I say my father's generation 
Anybody have a problem with that? Nope. I didn't think so. Nobody's ever had a problem with it except people who are bent on telling a lie like C.I. Schofield and others and some that were with us and among us. We have heard among us barking about the Jewish Sabbath. Our religion is based on Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai. I get written about it every week of my life. And I like to ask them every single time, we are New Testament Gentile Christians following Jesus and His apostles. Why do you want me to be an Old Testament Jew following Moses from Mount Sinai? If you would like to become a Christian, we would like to help you. That is the Old Testament. Do you know how God did it that really messes with their mind? It's going to mess with yours unless you've been through this before. Do you know that the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments? Do you mean to tell me that you don't believe the Ten Commandments? Show me a verse where the Bible says that God threw away His Ten Commandments. I didn't say He threw away ten. I said He threw away one. The Apostle Paul brings all nine into the New Testament. You can find them specifically identified. He pulls all nine in, but he didn't pull that one in because that one went away. Who did that? Why'd the Lord know that, do that, knowing that Joseph Bates, a sea captain, would come up with the idea that Christians in the early 1800s should worship on Saturday and that Ellen White, who was Ellen Harmon before she married James White, would believe it and add that to the Seventh-day Adventist lies from William Miller. You say, I don't know all those names. Well, be thankful. A lot happened in the first half of the 19th century. Between 1800 and 1850, terrible things happened in this country. Maybe that's why we had the Civil War. For those of you that have talked to me about the Civil War, I've wondered why why did we have the Civil War? You know, the Civil War killed a higher percentage of this country than... It doesn't, no no other war even comes close. Because between 1800 and 1850, there were a whole lot of Christians that were moved away from the hope of the gospel and started believing a bunch of crazy lies. You know, we've heard about the Jewish Sabbath. We've heard about preterism. Can you believe that anyone could believe that you are in the new heaven and the new earth right now? That the devil has been cast into the lake of fire that the great day of judgment has taken place, that the bondage of corruption has been lifted from Romans chapter 8, and that the resurrection of the dead has taken place? There isn't such a thing as church membership. We can just all float in and float out and serve each other. Christian liberty, you know, if you don't do it my way, then you're a heretic. And so we had a lot of preaching on Christian liberty, and more is going to follow, brethren. Do you know that? More is going to follow. We just don't know when and who. Yet. It's going to come. Because of 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. there must be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest. I thank God for every one of you because there's always fear about the sheep being rattled. And as long as you're established in the truth, you'll never be rattled. But that means that we preach and we preach long and we have long services and we spend a lot of time in the Bible and I send you updates and I send you proverb commentaries because I'm trying to feed you, fill you, teach you, train you in the Word of God that you can't be led astray. Right. So that after my decease, 
and whoever takes my place will have a congregation that's established in the truth. And I hope that all of you parents are doing it with your children. Explain to them why we don't have a steeple in our church, why we don't have a musical instrument, why the baptistry illustration I gave you last week. That wasn't for entertainment, not one bit. I weighed that thing long and hard, and I said, nope, I'm going to go with the Bible. If they always went down into the water with the people they baptized in the Bible, then that's what we're going to do. You heard me. I said legally, the Lord might accept that person's baptism because he is going underwater. But I'm not going to trust that he's going to accept the way I did it. So we both go down in the water. I want your children to understand those things. We've got some baptisms coming up soon. We'll line up around that pool to where you can all see the burial that takes place. I hate those baptistries that are way up on the wall because the church is so big and they don't want to put it in the floor. They put it way up behind the choir loft. The choir loft is higher than the pulpit and the pulpit's higher than the people. So, Okay, you know all that. But it's way up there and you don't see the burial. I want them to know there's a burial involved because that's important to us because we're Baptists. All these things matter to us. You know, there are some that are not enemies of Christ, but rather ignorant and needing or seeking instruction. The text says, the text in Romans sixteen eighteen says that they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, not everyone goes and creates a division or an offense. You are welcome to ask your pastor questions. That's what I am alive for. You say, but you're too busy with the website. Try me. You always come before the website. Try me. You're always first. We'll shut it down if necessary. But I try to preach as thoroughly as I can, and I try to write Proverbs commentaries as thoroughly as I can, and I send out those updates, and I do outlines and the efforts that are made to try to answer all your questions ahead of time. But that doesn't mean I, I won't take your questions. Just make sure that you've thought them through carefully because I'm warned about foolish questions. There are some that are not enemies of Christ that want answers to questions, and that's okay and that's good. I like questions. They humbly confess... Here's the description of them. They humbly confess their place, their ignorance, their confusion, and a desire to know more. They don't come and want to fight. These do not seek to gain a following or to divide the church or to overthrow church doctrine. They just want to get an answer before they babble about it with other people. They go and ask the pastor, what what do we believe on this point or why do we believe that on this point? They follow an orderly and respectful process to ask their pastor to clarify points of doctrine. They do not cause divisions or offenses for they keep their ignorance or their questions private. These innocent souls who will be helped with all diligence are not the subject of the context here. The ones that we're talking about are the ones that want to get a following and so they create divisions and the ones that publicly create offenses. See, how can you mark somebody that has a difference that's in private? You wouldn't even know they have a difference in private. There's always going to be differences in private. Every time we take in a new member... Can we expect a new member to know everything that we have covered in the previous 20 years of preaching? No. Do we expect that of them? Do I expect that? No. There's always those differences, and I hope that we're all moving toward the truth. 
And even if you may not see some particular point that I preach, because you're not established in it yet or you're not convinced of it yet, I hope that everything else that I preach, in spite of your difference on that point, that you humble yourself to and receive. Those have always been the two rules that we've had for differences in the church that are held on a private basis. Two rules. One, you can still hear me on every other subject gladly and with a ready mind like the Bereans in Acts 17.11. Two, you do not sow discord by taking your differences and sharing them with others. I have preached this for 30 years. I wasn't preached those two rules. Those rules are just obvious by implication every time you take in a new member who doesn't know the truth. There is an orderly way to arrive at truth, and it excludes weekend warriors with haughty opinions. Pride ruined the devil. It ruins men. There's more hope of a fool than a proud man. Look, Proverbs 26.12 is worded this way. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Pride is terrible. From pulpit to pew, we don't want any pride. I think someone just recently referred to us as talking donkeys or something like that. I I said amen. We want to be that way. We want to be humble before the Lord. We're nothing. We're little children. We want Him to show us everything. We're nothing. We're the least. We want to say those things. We want to believe those things. One of the ways that you can mark and avoid... People, and one of the things, one of the ways in which you can be wise and discerning is to look for pride. When men would rather talk than listen. When men would rather teach than be taught. Pride ruined the devil, and it's dangerous. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceits? There's more hope of a fool than him. The church, ministers included, we all have to humble ourselves as nothing before God and His Word. The Bible way is to pray for and trust your minister to study and preach God's truth to you. It is simply trusting God's sovereignty, helping your pastor to be focused on his work of the Word of God and prayer and praying for him. The Bereans readily received what Paul taught them. You know, Acts 17.11 is commonly used to teach that church members ought to question, accuse, attack, force pastors to prove things. That's not what it says. It says they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. If what things were so? If there was actually in Isaiah 9-6 a verse that said, His name shall be called Wonderful. That's what it meant. They heard it, but they wanted to go see it for themselves because they all didn't have the 1,189 chapters in their laps like you do. Remember the scriptures were kept carefully in those synagogues and they would be opened in a pulpit or up in a front area where they could be read to the congregation. So they would go home and search that out. Wow, did you hear that verse? Is that really in the Bible? And they could go home and search it out. You know, to go home and spend 15 minutes looking in the Word of God or to go to some place where they could look in the Word of God later during the week it wasn't to, to, to build a whole new doctrinal system. It wasn't to redefine everything. Right. It wasn't to, they have no idea what goes into a sermon. These weekend warriors. 
They have no idea the labor and sweat and fear and prayer that goes over every text of Scripture by a faithful minister. I've preached on that before. I don't need. To, I won't say any more. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. The true followers of Jesus Christ do not change or modify doctrine or practice without great proof. We, we went over that this morning. The true followers of Christ hold fast to what Jesus and his apostles taught. Heresies are going to come, but we're not going to go with them. Of course, to go from error to truth requires change. Is there change involved in a Roman Catholic becoming a Baptist? An unbelievable amount of change. And thanks be to God, he did that for some of you. It's incredible. Your, your religious world was turned upside down. But that requires a lot of change. And we understand that. But jumping around and making stuff up as people go, as we have seen, is neither Christian nor intelligent. The pastor and church here aren't going to change without a tsunami of evidence, and I've defined that. Of course, these people use the name of Jesus, but it says in Romans sixteen eighteen, they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. Their highest motive for their actions is not the Lord Jesus Christ. It's their own motive of pride. It's their own motive to get a following. It's their own motive of novelty. It's their own ambition. It's their own thoughts of their intelligence. They want to teach rather than be taught and so forth. But they'll use the name of Jesus. But remember, there's more than one Jesus. There's more than one grace. There's false grace. There's corrupt grace. There's counterfeit grace. There is lascivious grace from Jude 1 and verse 4. Jesus clearly described that many would say to him in that great day of judgment, Lord, 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 you know how it's going to be terrible. Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. I never knew you. Shocking, isn't it? It's like Judas Iscariot. Three and a half years of perfect preaching and perfect miracle production. Many signs and wonders. But he was on his way to hell. He was a child of hell. And Jesus said it would have been better if that man had never been born. By the, but their own belly. They don't serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. There are in every church such belly worshipers who mind earthly things. You know, Philippians 3, 18 and 19 are very sober, very condemning. When the Apostle Paul in parentheses, after he has explained in verse 17 to mark those that live like me so that you have us for an example to follow, then he said that there are others that worship their own belly and who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And I with tears have warned you about them in the past. And there are many of them. And then it gives us that little description, and that comes home to every single one of us. They mind earthly things. That's why there is so much, so many words out of this pulpit against earthly things. And that's why there is sometimes near ridicule of things that are important to you, like your families and like your jobs. I talk about it as your little job, because in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom, it is your, just your little job. And even a family isn't to be compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is to be compared to Him. 
And so they mind earthly things. They're belly worshippers. A belly worshipper is the use of synecdoche as part of the body referring to a natural orientation to where they're concerned about things of this life rather than things about the next life. Natural, earthly minded rather than heavenly, spiritually minded. But their own belly. And so the, the Holy Spirit doesn't mince words. And neither did Paul. Heretics worship their own bellies. This is what the Word of God says. When somebody rises up in a church or tries to come from the outside and lead away any of you from here, the Bible tells me about them. They're causing divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned. They are belly worshipers. They love themselves more than they love Jesus Christ. They love the little following that they could get of people giving them the rah-rah song and dance for them showing them something from the Bible than for building up the church of Jesus Christ on that solid foundation where it is settled forever. All you young people in this church, all you children, all you youth, all you teenagers, you're so important to us. And you're important to the Lord to hear the message that I'm preaching today. And to commit yourself that I will never change. I will worship the God of my Father. Joseph, I see you. I will worship the God of my Father. I will keep the church of Greenville doing what it has always done. I will never let it change. Oh, I want you young people to be committed like that. Mighty men of valor that fear no enemy, that fear no popular or public opinion, that don't worry about all the churches around us inventing things every week as they go. Lord, help them. Bless them. There are men that are in love with themselves and they're very dangerous. Their goal is not the glory of Jesus Christ, but rather a pet point of doctrine or their own glory. Human pride is terrible. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, one of the qualifications to be ordained is you better not have pride because it took the devil down. If it took the devil down, what in the world is it going to do to a mere man? The devil said, I will be like the Most High. That arrogance. He wasn't content with being next to the Most High, what would we give to have been Lucifer? I want to, don't, don't go too far with that little question. We've got something better. You know what it is? We're the sons of God. I'm not some strange creature that isn't his son that's just designed to worship him. We're his sons. He's our father. And it's going to be that kind of a relationship for eternity. Through the Lord Jesus Christ our joint heir with him. 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, not a novice. When a man is ordained, he can't be a novice, a newly converted man who is not well established in the truth of the apostolic faith, lest, being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. If he's not well established in the truth, if he's too young, if he's too immature, if he's not seasoned in hearing the word of God, He'll fall into the condemnation of the devil. That isn't the devil condemning him. That's God condemning him like God condemned the devil. That's one of those genitive phrases that you have to make a choice by context. Who's doing the condemning? This is God condemned the devil once, and God will condemn men that are like the devil. If you want to see it the other way around, then go to the next verse. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. That's the devil doing the reproaching. 
Pride. We want to hate pride. They crave to be teachers and or leaders. They don't want to listen. And you can pick up on that. And some of you probably are able to figure out some of the things that I'm not saying. They want so much to share their opinions, it's painful for them to listen. Just watch and listen. You know, pride is one of Satan's basic devices. He tempted Eve with the fact that she could be like God. He tried to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ with the kingdoms of the world. Humility is necessary for God's blessing, especially when it comes to truth. Pride is incredibly destructive. Pride cometh before a fall. We want to hate pride. We want to talk it. We want to think it. We want to believe it about ourselves that we're nothing. That we're scum. Our church is a bunch of, a bunch of sinful scum. The pastor. He's the least of all pastors. Believe it. I believe it. I know it. You know it too. We gotta hate pride. It pops out in their rebellion against authority. In Jude and in 2 Peter 2, the two passages that I've often said are some of the harshest language in the entire New Testament about these rabid dogs that should be taken out and killed. Do you know who they are? They're the false teachers described in those two passages. Because it is that kind of arrogance against authority that leads to heresy and leads to wanting to get a following after yourself because you don't respect authority enough. So it's one of the telltale marks of these heretics because it's in both places. Second Peter 2 verses 10 through 12 and Jude verses 8 through 10. I've mentioned the priest to the believer. Do we believe in the Baptist distinctive of the priesthood of the believer? Yes, please don't make me sign a confession with the words formed that way. But are we all kings and priests before the Lord? Absolutely. You can, I'll sign that one any day because that's scriptural. But when we talk about the priesthood of the believer, does that mean that every believer is equally competent, capable of interpreting Scripture as every other believer? Abigail, do you believe on Jesus today? Would you like to come up and finish the sermon? I have all the notes laid out. I know, you're a good girl. You're not in trouble one bit. I'm glad you were awake to answer me. (laughs) I've, I've never seen you sleeping. I can't see past the front of my pulpit. What's the priesthood of the believer? That I can't help you get to God. That I'm not in between you and God. That you don't make your confession of sins to a priest or a pastor. You can go straight to God. Can Abigail go straight to God? Is that that wonderful about our doctrine? You know, I got ripped in the last day or two by a Roman Catholic that didn't like Proverbs 21.16 and its few paragraphs about Rome. I didn't even write them because they were scorners. I wanted to. I always want to. But they're scorners, and the Bible tells me, don't mess with a scorner, and don't rebuke a scorner, and they don't deserve to be corrected. I just wanted to write one question. Where in the New Testament does it teach the office of priest? Because if they could, if they used a concordance, now Catholics don't have concordances, but you know, everything's online now. So let's imagine this Catholic plopping down at a keyboard and looking up priest. Now, they're going to run into, in the, in the epistles of Paul, they're going to run into a high priest. And who is that? 
the Lord Jesus Christ, if they run into the word priest, who's it going to refer to? All of you. All of you. You know, they have a sacrament. One of their seven sacraments is holy orders. To become a priest. Or to become a nun. All of you are priests. Abigail, you are a priest. A priest is a specially chosen person that can go directly to God to offer sacrifices that are pleasing to God for the sins of a person. You can go right to God and talk to God and ask Him to forgive you for any sin in your life. And through Jesus Christ, God hears you and forgives you. That's the priesthood of the believer. We don't take that and twist it and stick it in another place to where there's really no value or purpose for preachers of the gospel because everyone can interpret scriptural scripture equally. That is not true. Just like in your individual professions, I would not dare to presume that I could start tomorrow and equally do what you do, especially doing it 15 minutes on weekends like weekend warriors do with their Bible study. I magnify my office. The charismatic movement. The charismatic movement is an attack on God's Word that I don't need God's Word and I don't need preachers of God's Word because I have the Spirit and that is good enough. In fact, if you press them like I said last Sunday and I reminded you, I told you about an event when I was 19 years of age when a man was pressed with the claims of the Gospel. He said, I don't care what the Bible says. I have the Spirit. And if you push charismatics hard enough, they'll all say that. I just know it's right. On what basis? Because I have an unction from the Holy One and I know all things. I love that use of 1 John 2.20. I have an unction from the Holy One and I know all things. Jesus wants to make your acquaintance. Because he said that that day and hour, not even the Son of Man knows. But you have it figured out. From 1 John 2.20, you're a genius. If you can't hear it dripping, it's dripping. Unbelievable. But that's the charismatic mentality. I've got the Spirit. I like to ask them, what is the sword of the Spirit? right here how does the spirit teach us with what weapon are we supposed to fight the devil with what weapon are we supposed to fight false doctrine some spirit inside us right here my 66 inch blade or my 66 magnum whichever you prefer right here what did the Holy Spirit inspire the word of God what did the Holy Spirit say about the Word of God? It's more sure than God's voice from heaven. Right. It's able to make the man of God thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, how many good works are left out of all good works? What furnishing does a man of God not have because the Scripture thoroughly furnishes him? And so, Romans 16, 18, we're answering the question about what these people are like and how, how could they end up wanting to change things because they have the Spirit. And all the reasons that I gave you on Wednesday evening, Wednesday evening I had 30 topics, 30 other topics. You got what you got on Wednesday evening because I believed it would be the most conducive to help you understand what Romans 16, 17, and 18 are actually teaching.
And if you go through the 12 reads, the 12 attacks on the Bible that are coming from the contemporary Christianity around us, they are all there. And you know, many of the churches have all 12 of them. The information explosion is a dangerous factor that we want to take heed against. Anyone, anywhere, can publish anything at no cost or limitation or examination or evidence. There's no one questioning the blogs and the websites of these people that put all kinds of stuff out there and say all kinds of things, and there's no cost in the past to get a book published was an enormous capital investment, and you would have to have people approve it in order to have any audience for it. Now anybody can publish anything. Therefore, there's more heretical junk a mouse click away than ever before in world history. Never have our youth been assaulted with the junk that's out there. And right now I'm talking about religious junk. They can have 10,000 CCM songs on their smartphone before you know they're even listening to contemporary Christian music. They can be listening to Joseph Prince and they may have been doing it for the last two years and you don't even know it because he's on their smartphone. When the Bible warns about creeps, teachers that creep into houses and lead captive silly women, never has it been easier to do than in our generation. Never, not even close. Joyce Myers can creep into any house. She can creep into a cell phone. So can Benny. So can Jesse. Jesse's funny. Jesse's one of the funniest men in America. He belongs on everyone's cell phone. Whenever you want a big smile. I hope you know when I'm speaking the truth and when I'm not. Oh, the internet scares me. And the information explosion because... When the Bible says mark and avoid, and when the Bible says let them be accursed, and the Bible says don't bid them Godspeed, and the Bible says don't invite them into your house, don't invite them into your house, don't invite them into your house, my elect lady, don't invite them into your house. They're in your house all the time. One click away. Lord save us. By good words and fair speeches. Remember, the issue that at stake is deception. That means you believe a lie and don't know that it's a lie. How in the world do they get you to believe a lie and you don't know it's a lie? Because they come at you with good words and fair speeches. Oh, they'll, they'll make the biggest show about how much they love you. Do you remember how Absalom stole the hearts of Israel? Just, just a question. What leader of Israel do you think it was probably the hardest to steal the hearts of Israel away from? Had to be. David. Had to be. Did he do it? Did he do it in a hurry? Because people crave personal attention. Do you remember his personal attention method of taking them and kissing them and telling them that he was sorry that David was so busy he didn't have time for them? Remember? Stole the hearts of Israel. And so these people come along and steal the hearts of God's people. It doesn't matter if they say they love the truth and you. How do they divide the word of truth and teach it? The devil himself quoted scripture, didn't he? To the Lord Jesus Christ? Did he misquote? Did he use the NIV? Did the devil, when he was dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ after his baptism, use the NIV? No. He used the King James Bible from Psalm 91. But he misapplied it. They use good words. So their vocabulary is going to sound consistent with what you know from the Bible. The Spirit says in several places that they'll use feigned words, feigned words, and cunningly devised 
fables and vain words and great swelling words of vanity. And if you heard the, uh, the, the example that I've given you today of Joseph Prince and the Grace Revolution, if you heard grace, grace and grace, mother grace, and oh, great, you know, you want to shout amen. But there's more to our religion than grace. Grace teaches us things, and those things are the things that we ought to be doing. And so these good words and these fair speeches, and they're, are they gifted? Oh, they're gifted. Very gifted. Do they have spiritual powers? Oh, yes. And the Bible says that they're the ministers of Satan. That's what the Bible says. They can quote the five solas all they want. Scripture only. Grace only. Faith only. They can quote them all day. How do they do with the Word of God? Did they end up sprinkling infants? What did the five solas do for them? Only Scripture? And they end up sprinkling babies? They use fair speeches. They promise them liberty, like I've already mentioned to you. Does Joel Osteen promise liberty? Every single sermon. God wants you healthy, wealthy, and happy. Just say it with me. I'm happy. I'm rich. I'm smart. I'm good looking. You got to listen to every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. 43,000 people sit there and cough up $850,000 a week. It's a shame that two weeks ago, somebody got their hand in the cookie jar. Did you see that in the news? Between 2.30 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon and 8.30 a.m. on Monday morning, 600,000 in KFC buckets disappeared from Joel Osteen's church in Houston. He has a $25,000 reward out now. He's a nice guy. He's got a $25,000 reward out to get that six hundred grand back. I think some of the big boys in the congregation that had their credit card numbers stolen are probably the most irritated. They deceive the hearts of the simple. To deceive is to believe a lie and not know that you're believing a lie. So we mark and avoid. Why do we mark and avoid? Because God is seeking worshipers that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we mark and avoid anything that is contrary to truth so that our worship stays pleasing to God. Second of all, we mark and avoid to save the simple in our congregation from the deception of liars. Just as we protect our wives and children by taking precautions, so do we in the church. Unless marking and avoiding occurs, a babel, a literal babel of confusion of false doctrine will soon overthrow all the souls in our church. It's the heart that's mentioned here in Romans chapter 16 because the simple typically follow their heart more than they do their mind. Your mind should rule your heart. Your heart should not rule your mind. Your mind is what reads and believes the Word of God and it causes your heart to rejoice. And that is the order that we always ought to keep. We don't use musical instruments. We don't use the testimonials of famous people. We don't use star power. We don't use any of those things to move the hearts of people to overthrow their minds. We want to address your minds with the Word of God. And the Bible tells us that we are to renew our minds through the Word of God and by the proper teaching of Scripture, and we can direct our hearts. 
The Bible says, set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth. It is a conscious choice by having our minds enlightened by the Word of God and instructed by the Word of God of what to set our affections on. And where we make our investments, there will your heart be. And that's what we want to do. Who are the, who are the simple ones in our congregation? Our children are deficient in knowledge and experience, so we guard all inputs to them. Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we want to protect them. Wise fathers make careful educational choices to protect their children from error, for there is identifiable risk in every schooling choice that you can make. But they make the most calculated one they can for the protection of their children. And we in this church want to make every calculated choice that we can by marking and avoiding to protect our children from false doctrine even coming in among our children or among youth. There will be differences in Christian liberty in here, and to that degree, there is a measure in which your children may need to avoid other children where some father is too lax for your government of your family. I would to God that we would all consider each other, and so those who are too lax would raise their authority, and man up in their homes so we don't have that evil influence to even have to think about. Women are the weaker sex in this matter, and they must be protected. Many silly women, vulnerable and weak by nature, by their lusts, by slothfulness, are captivated by charlatans like Joel Osteen, James Dobson, Benny Hinn, Pope Frank, Joyce Meyer, and Jesse Duplantis, and others. Arminian churches, and even most churches today, depend on women for their attendance and for their teaching. Because they're vulnerable. They'll change. They can be moved emotionally without thinking about what they're doing. Husbands shouldn't allow wives to read or listen to men that they haven't specifically approved. There's no reason for women to ever be doing that. It's an indication that they're too slothful. A woman who understands Proverbs chapter 31 doesn't have time to sit around and read even Christian books. That isn't taught anywhere in the Bible. If she wants to learn anything, she should pay attention in church where the man that God chose for her is preaching, and she should pay attention and ask her husband at home where the man that God gave her can teach her the rest of it and how to apply it. There's too much to do for a woman to sit around reading such books. That isn't recommended, even suggested, even implicated anywhere in the Bible. And I know I, I almost sound like a pagan saying it. Oh, I just believe the whole Bible. And so if a woman will will learn anything, let her ask her husband at home. And what's the order for God teaching women? The modern inventions allow these men to creep right in and take advantage of women. Well, how's a church brought up so that with proper knowledge so that there isn't simple members to be susceptible to lies? Well, all men are simple by nature. But the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure. Making wise the simple. So, every husband and father, everything should be, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. It's going to come out of this pulpit that way, and every father and every husband should follow that up at home. This is what the Bible says. Let's go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about that? And so everything is determined based on the Bible. The emphasis of the church should be teaching, not entertainment of any type. The time will come when they will turn their ears away from sound doctrine and the truth and be turned into fables, but no fables here. No football players recently coming in here to tell you their testimony. 
Faithful ministers are constantly at work at the teaching against various errors. For there are men that lie in wait with cunning craftiness to deceive, and it's ministers' job to point them out and to correctly teach against them. Ephesians chapter 4. Members are to warn each other and to convert each other. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner or the heretic from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. That's a congregational duty. We want to keep after each other and provoke each other to love and to good works, but we do not want to slide away. We do not move. We don't want movement away from the truth. We don't want discussions going on against the pulpit, against the pastor, just like you don't want your children sowing sedition, rebellion against you in your home, just like you don't want your employees doing that in a place of employment. We do not let anything alter our interpretation and understanding of the Word of God as it has been given to us until the Lord overwhelms us with a tsunami. Faithful churches and faithful saints always pray that God will deliver them from strange children whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood and whose mouth speaketh vanity. And that has been prayed today. And we want to constantly pray it. And the psalm where it is found, Psalm 144, is one of the theme psalms of our church for which we can be thankful. Romans 16, 17, and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. May the Lord preserve this church. May we mark and avoid like we should. May we warn the unruly. May we pray to be delivered from strange children. May we love the truth. May we hate the error that we see all around us. And may God bless us to stand fast for many years to come, even until the Lord Jesus Christ return. Amen.